It's time for Sports Wrap on 760 WJR. All right, this is the wrap on 760 WJR. To a car phone we go. Dave, thanks for hanging on. You're on 760. Gentlemen, and Stephen Dan, you got the chemistry. It's cooking. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Are you calling us from your office? I'm doing Sports Center tonight. With, Are you uh, really? Dan Patrick. Well, yes. I'm very impressed. By the way, give Dan our best. He's a good man. And, I will. Uh, hey, hey, Dan. Chuck Swirsky says hi. This is the best sports rap has ever been, in my opinion. Now, here's your host, Chris Renwick. All right, welcome in. Uh, you, you know, we, we've seen it around the country in different, you know, lines of work. And whether or not your employer is going to force you to get that COVID-19 vaccine. Well, in the NFL, they're not forcing it. They're not forcing it. But you will be held to a certain... You will be held to a different standard than players who have went out and got the jab. And in terms of what you're going to be allowed to do as opposed to what players who were who were vaccinated are going to be allowed to do, what, what kind of autonomy they have in the practice facilities or in the stadiums, it's quite different. It's almost the opposite. Um, and, and I want to bring Nick into this early because... There's, I mean, in terms of day-to-day activities for a lot of these players, this is going to be impactful for a lot of these guys who say, like Taylor Decker, for example, says, I'm not getting the COVID-19 shot. He's got his own reasons, God bless, but he says he's not getting the shot. So he's going to be held to a different standard. And I guess, Nick, my question is, and we're going to run down the list of, of some of these things here, but is this going to hurt teams? Is this going to hurt a lot of these players um, is there going to be, you know, an, an issue of, uh, you, know, you know, especially if you're an offensive lineman, it's all about continuity. It's all about working with your other guy, working with your other lineman. Is this going to impact the team's play? Absolutely. Uh, it's going to impact your pocketbooks and your play, because if you're a high risk contact of COVID, which there aren't as many now, thanks to the vaccines, you will have to quarantine for a certain amount of days. I don't, I don't know what that's going to be by the time football season rolls around, but you could be in jeopardy of missing games again. I mean, we went through it all last season. A lot of high-profile high players had to sit out, uh, get tested and retested to make sure they were negative, but it's going to be the second season of this if you're not vaccinated. And it's also going to affect your pocketbooks if you have to miss games because of it. You also can't do anything endorsement-wise. You can't do any autograph signings. You can't do any availability like that. You're going to be losing a lot of money. So here are some of these modifications for the vaccinated, for, for those who are vaccinated and those who are not. And this is league-wide. This is across the NFL. So if you are fully vaccinated, you will not need to produce a daily test. If you are not fully vaccinated, you will be tested every day. If you are fully vaccinated, you are not required to wear a mask around the the organization's facilities or during uh, team travel when, when you're on the road. If you are not fully vaccinated, you will be masked everywhere. If you're vaccinated, you don't need to socially distance. Whether you're at Allen Park, whether you're at Ford Field, wherever. If you're not vaccinated... You've got to physically distance from everybody in the facilities. If you're vaccinated, you don't have to quarantine after a high-risk exposure. 
And if you're not, you do. If you're vaccinated, you got no travel restrictions. If you haven't got the poke, well, you got some restrictions in place. You can be in a weight room with other fully vaccinated individuals. If you're not, there's a 15-player limit in your weight room. You can eat in the cafeteria for vaccinated, and if you're not, you got to be physically distanced, uh, physically distanced, and you cannot eat with your teammates. You got to grab your stuff and head on out. I mean, if from a camaraderie standpoint, from uh, from a point of of hanging out with the team, hanging out with the guys, getting to know a lot of these. Mm-mm. You got no restrictions, like like Nick, like you talked about, social media. Marketing, sponsorship opportunity, that's all there for you. It's the exact opposite if you're not vaccinated. You can use a sauna and steam room if you got the vaccination. And you can't if you haven't. I mean, look. That's where they're right there. I I understand what the league is trying to do. I understand what the Players Association is trying to do. I get it. But... From a, from a standpoint of what we've learned about the vaccine, what we've learned about this virus along the way, it, it you know, you're not going to be able to pass this around to people who are vaccinated. You're not going to be able to pass it around. Uh, if, you, if you have the vaccine and you somehow come down with this thing, you're not going to be able to pass it along that way. So I, I, I don't know why the NFL is imposing a lot of these. I mean, these are pretty rigid. These are pretty strict. These are a lot of the things that a lot of these guys had to endure last year. It was a different time, though. I mean, we didn't have a vaccine. We, these are, this is just what everybody had to do to get through the season. And I got to admit, the NFL did a, a fine job of it for the most part. Um, but I guess that my question to you, Nick, is, is this fair? Is this fair to guys like Taylor Decker who says, look, I'm not getting the vaccine because, you know, whatever. He's got his own reasons why he won't get the vaccine. But are, are, is this, is this fair to a lot of these guys? Because come Sunday, come Monday or Thursday, I mean, you're going to be playing with these guys right next to each other anyway, vaccinated or not. So what's the difference? Well, I th- I think we we found out last year that it's not going to spread from playing football. You're not going right. to if you and maybe this never happened. Maybe the left tackle never had COVID last year, and we never had the opportunity for it to spread to the defensive lineman sure. across the, the line of scrimmage room. But there's got to sure. be some rules involved for the unvaccinated people with like a, a travel party this large. I mean, I was fortunate right. enough to be in the Lions travel party for a few years. It is hundreds of people. Yeah, it's extensive. Yeah. So if you're just going to let vaccinated people and unvaccinated people kind of go by the same rules when you have that many people in close quarters in the plane, in a hotel, in buses, in a locker room, I think you're asking for something that you don't want. As far as someone catching it, someone spreading it, I, I think yeah, it's the right way it, to go. And the Players Association it, approved it. it. It doesn't sound like they're worried about, you know, on on game days, the offensive line 
passing it along to the the opposing team's defensive line. It sounds to me like they want to keep each team as healthy as possible so that they're able to play these games. So you don't have a widespread breakout. But at the same time, I mean, again, we're, we're going to get to a point in this country, uh, the, the, all these experts are saying, once you get to 70% efficacy, we're going to kind of get to a point where it's going to be natural immunity, herd immunity. Well, I would imagine it's a lot of the same here. I, I would I venture to guess, and, and I don't know this number, but I would venture to guess that a lot of uh, most of the Detroit Lions, whether it's support staff, coaching staff, players, front office, whatever it is, I would imagine a lot of those people have been vaccinated. I would imagine a, a vast majority have been vaccinated. So are, can we get to a point here where we can kind of shed a lot of these, these you know, rules and regulations for people who haven't been vaccinated? I mean, again, when you're talking about, I don't think a lot of these guys are going to worry so much if, if, you're, if you haven't been vaccinated, if you got to wear a mask around. I don't think that's that big of a deal. But if you're talking about you're not going to be able to participate in in marketing or sponsorship or social media activities because you haven't been vaccinated, well, I think, Nick, to your point, you're exactly right. It's going to hurt your pocketbook. It's going to hurt your it's going to hurt your ability to market yourself. It's going to hurt your ability for the for the exposure that you would get. And if you're a guy, you know, uh, on, on any of these teams who's kind of a fringe I don't want to call him a fringe star, but somebody who's a who's a, a a major contributor on the field. You're going to want that exposure, so I think you're exactly right, and maybe that's what the maybe that's the aim here. Get the vaccine, and you can uh, you can have these opportunities again. Yeah, th- this is from a couple days ago. Uh, Sixteen teams have more than fifty of their ninety players on their rosters vaccinated. Three teams have over 70 players vaccinated of the 90. And there are a few teams that they've named that have been lagging behind in vaccination rates. Colts, Jaguars, Cardinals, and Chargers. Hmm. So there you go. A huge number, a huge majority of your players are getting vaccinated. Half, in some cases, and more. So it's something we'll keep an eye on. I mean, again, coming across a lot of stuff, you're like, whoa. Holy smoke, you're going to be doing the exact opposite of what a lot of your vaccinated teammates will be doing. We'll keep an eye on it for you. All right, more to come here on Sports Wrap. Chris Renwick, Nick Roddy continuing next here on WJR. Now back to more Sports Wrap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. So many parts of our state just, you know, ravaged by COVID. And certainly, uh, we talk about our restaurant industry. We talk about all the different parts of our economy. But but one of the hardest hit parts, or at least for for a lot of families and children, was was high school athletics. And there were so many different hoops and different you know avenues that, that schools and the state needed to traverse. 
because of COVID. And and now we're coming out of that. And so what's the prognosis? What's the what's the forecast for high school athletics here in the state? So there's nobody better to talk about it. Mark Yule, the executive director of the MHSAA, with us now this evening. Mark, how are you? Good to be with you. I, I know that, that it was a stressful year plus for you. Um, but in terms of, of what, what were some of the things you learned um, working through COVID, working with all the schools, working with all the athletes and coaches, what were some of the things that you learned along the way that, that maybe is something that you'll kind of look in the future going, yeah, we, could, we could still implement this going forward? So I think the, the first part is really more philosophical than anything else. And what COVID really taught us, first and foremost, it's just how important school sports is. You know, when uh, the governor's office with uh, an executive order going back to last August, um, at least for a short period of time, it forced us into suspending football and making plans to move it to the spring. You know, the outcry and the feedback that we got really just showed how important um, the high school sports experience was to so many people. Uh, you fast mm-hmm. forward and, you know, as we finish the, the fall, finally, and then with our winter sports getting pushed back, that same thing. Um, you wish it hadn't taken a pandemic um, to kind of come up and, and to understand that again. But certainly sure. uh, the importance of school sports is really the biggest thing that I take out of this. Now, I do think we'll have some opportunities moving forward. You know, certainly a lot of individuals with COVID, you know, hit them in a, in a tough financial way. So that could mean an opportunity to recruit more officials. Uh, folks looking to make some extra money, some extra income is, uh, you know, we fully kind of get out the other side of this. And then just some very practical things that we had to do this year with COVID. Um, in our football community, we're going to talk a great deal about what our playoffs should look like because this year uh, during the pandemic out of necessity, everybody got in. And that's a, a concept that we need to talk about and explore. And we say, well, gosh, it's something we did during the pandemic, but is this something That's a better way of doing business long-term. So I've been keeping a list of things that we've had to do because of uh, COVID. And uh, as we work through the summer and into the fall and get back meeting in front of our schools face-to-face, those are some of the conversations we'll have. So so you're thinking of of actually considering having a lot of those, you know, even from a football perspective, allowing all the teams to make it and see where it leads. Is that something that you're, that you're saying is possible moving forward? It is. So, um, you got to remember two years ago, we voted to go from just the simply six wins and you're into the playoffs uh, to making it strictly on playoff point percentage um, to where we added in a strength of schedule component. That's something the football community wanted because really the, the challenge in football, it's regular season scheduling. Our programs that have had some success over the years um, have found it incredibly difficult to schedule non-conference opponents. So you fast forward to this year by putting everybody into the playoffs. Some would, would argue, well, in everybody into the tournament, now regular season becomes, scheduling becomes easier because now you're not simply trying to schedule five or six or seven um, easy wins. So um, mm-hmm. we're going to talk. And so this coming fall, because schedules had already been set, you know, a few years in advance, we're going to go back to this coming fall that you have to qualify to get into the playoffs based on the strength of schedule. But at mm-hmm. least our football community will now have two side-by-side comparisons of last year and this year and saying, okay, did we like it better with everybody in? You play an eight-game regular season schedule, reduce down from nine, and then you add mm-hmm. another week to the playoffs. Do we say, do we like that approach better 
or do we like uh, only allowing 256 of our approximately 600 schools in the tournament? So yeah. that will be a fascinating conversation we'll have with our member schools this fall, and we'll see where it goes. Yeah, I love that you're willing to play with it. I think that's a really smart idea, so I, I give you a lot of props on that. The other part of all of that, of course, and you mentioned a little bit, the the appetite for college, or for, excuse me, for high school athletics, be it at any level, freshman, JV, varsity, whatever it is, I think parents inevitably saw it as not only high school athletics are, are so, it can be so important to a lot of students, but in a time when it was hard enough to see your friends, hard enough to keep in contact, hard it was it was a disruption to a lot of people's lives. Now it's it, there was such an appetite for it. Is that something that you knew was the case, or was it was at least a, a refreshing from your perspective to see? It was a little bit refreshing to be completely honest. And again, um, I don't think in life we we ever appreciate things until. Um, they're no longer there, or they're delayed, or they're paused, or they're pushed back. And certainly going through last spring's experience to where we lost the entire spring season, those seniors never got a chance to play. Um, that was something that really rang through uh, loud and clear. You know, we got some pushback early on in the year to where we were advocating for fall activity to start. And a lot of our schools were starting off the fall in a virtual mode. In other words, they weren't bringing any kids on campus. And the criticism was, well, how can you be bringing kids back on campus for sports, but not for school? And during normal times, I would agree with you that that's some certainly some mixed messaging. But the other thing is what we heard is, you know what, our kids this year were dying or yearning for one threat of normalcy. And I really believe that us having a full athletic offering going back to last fall was so key for kids just for their mental health. Um, yep, sure. school looked different, friends looked different, you know, just where I could go, wearing a mask, it all looked different, but uh, for mm-hmm. us really persevering and having three seasons that all got to the finish line, uh, I've heard all kinds of feedback from kids and parents, families, and communities about how valuable that was, and it really didn't have a whole lot to do with athletics, it was more of just that mental state of mind, and, and it was really all about the relationships, and uh, I'm glad we pushed as hard as we did. Yeah, some sort of sense of normalcy was was absolutely crucial. Now, going forward, uh, you know, Michigan is a very talent-rich state across all sports, across all um, d- different games. And and one of the, the bigger concerns for perhaps some of the families that had kids who were being scouted, who were being recruited by different schools for different sports uh, at the college level, that, that, that there was going to be some sort of drop-off from there. Did you see that being the case? What Was there... A, was there uh, a fewer students being recruited to play athletics at the next level in college, or uh, has that kind of stayed pat for what you'd seen in years past? And then even going forward, what are you expecting? I think where the, the recruiting landscape was just so radically different, didn't have much to do with us at the high school level. It's really kind of the, the conundrum right now at the college level. You know, the NCAA across the board gave every kid an extra year. So, Um, I have a swimmer, a college swimmer that just completed his sophomore year. Um, But this year did not count for his eligibility. So now as a returning uh, three-year student, he has three years of eligibility left. Um, What it's creating when it comes to recruiting high school kids is there right now is a bit of a log jam because you've got a senior class that gets a free year. So this this graduating senior group right now, uh, there's just been fewer opportunities and, you know, uh, 
talking to some of my colleagues at both Michigan and Michigan State, when they talk recruiting right now, recruiting has to be done on two different tracks with the transfer portal. Um, and actually almost the third track, the, the one group of kids you've got to recruit, it's still recruiting high school kids. That, that's going to be a lifeline for, for, I think, forever. The second group of kids you have to recruit is you have to see what other kids are in the transfer portal. Um, you know, we've heard Tom Izzo say over and over again, when, when kids transfer, there tended to be problems at the past place, but coaches have to aggressively transfer the portal. And then the third group of, of uh, kids that have to be recruited are a college coach right now has to recruit your own kids who are already on your team. Because with the portal, sure. there's just a chance if, if you don't like your Retention. situation to go elsewhere. And I've heard a lot of college coaches say, I've got to recruit my own kids on my roster right now to keep them. Mm. So, uh, yeah, a lot of changes in the recruiting space. It hasn't affected high school to the degree that it has at the college level, but certainly the, the bottom line is there's fewer slots with all of the movement in the extra year. Yeah, no doubt. Well, it's an interesting look, kind of uh, an autopsy of what you had to go through over the last year and change, uh, just just in terms of getting kids, you know, playing the games. Uh, it, it, I know it's been a headache. You've done a fantastic job. Uh, navigating it all, and I'm so happy you were able to, to carve out some time for us. Uh, we'll certainly keep up with you. would love to, to kind of know and pick your brain about what else you guys are doing up at the MHSAA. So, Mark, you'll thank you so much. Always appreciate the time. My pleasure. Good to be with you. All right, there he is, Mark Ewell, Executive Director of the MHSAA here on Sports Wrap, and we will continue with more next. Chris Renwick, Nick Roddy here on WJR. Now back to more Sports Wrap, presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, we are just days away from the Rocket Mortgage Classic hitting the uh, the old turf out at DGC, and it, it, it is absolutely, it's exciting. I mean, look, the, the course is in fantastic shape. You've got all the signage up and, and continuing to go up, and, and the all the preparation now is coming to head. Jason Langwell, Executive Director of the Rocket Mortgage Classic, with us this evening on Sports Rab. Jace, what's going on? Hey, how you doing? Good to be with you. No, things are good out here, like you said, at the Detroit Golf Club. The course is in great shape. Uh, and we're, uh, we, the stands are going up, the structures are going up. There's a lot of excitement out here and, uh, we're seeing a lot of energy and enthusiasm from our, uh, our fans through ticket sales. So we're, we're excited and ready to go for our third rocket mortgage classic. Well, I want to talk about that first because the fan experience this year, maybe more than ever is, is so important. And I know everybody's looking forward to it. So uh, I, I know tickets are still available. Um, but in, in terms of the logistics for those who are going down there, what can people expect? What do they need to know? Yeah, no, we're encouraging fans to act quickly and get to rocketmortgageclassic.com. We do still have ticket sales available. We are approaching our thresholds where dynamic uh, ticket pricing will kick in and, and prices will go up slightly as we approach a sellout. Mm -hmm. Expect that again this year uh, as we experienced in 2019. We've got a great, safe, fun experience in store for fans. Um, they can visit rocketmortgageclassic.com to get tickets. They start at just $20 for Wednesday's Delta Dental Pro-Am, where they'll be able to watch the top players. We're also going to have a number of celebrities out there. Tom Izzo, Barry Sanders, Lexi Thompson will be out, Larry Fitzgerald. So uh, as fans visit rocketmortgageclassic.com, they can also get uh, their parking as well. There will be parking mm. in Wayne State this year, uh, oh, very cool. conveniently located. 
and uh, tickets are available online. Uh, you'll need to get your parking in advance. You also need to buy your tickets in advance. Uh, there is no walk-up sales this year, so we want to make fans aware of that, like as, as was the case in 2019. And everything will be digital as well. It's all digital ticketing uh, to create a more safe experience. And we've got a number of other measures for safety, all open-air hospitality. We've just added some hospitality options for fans to be able to, to purchase on there for Michelob Ultra Club. Uh, and lending free lounge. So we get some exclusive opportunities and a limited window available. So um, all in all, uh, a safe summer fun experience awaits. And uh, uh, just looking out here at the golf course now, we've got our uh, the largest fan zone in the PGA Tour waiting. We're starting to put up some of the fun experiences wow. there for families to enjoy. Awesome. Well, and look, I, I know that safety is your number one, but it's easy. I mean, it, the, the, the switch to digital tickets – all, all of that stuff is really simple. Parking, it's very mm-hmm. easy. You've made it all very accessible for people. So I know everybody appreciates that. In terms of the actual tournament itself, uh, we look at some of these other big-time tournaments that happen, you know, majors and such, like the U.S. Open, right? And how exactly, how you look at those types of tournaments and you bring all the good stuff, right? And you leave all the, the stuff that maybe we don't need or that you've already perfected, but you take all the stuff from these from these big-time tournaments and you bring them here to Detroit to improve the Rocket Mortgage Classic. T- talk to me about how you're influenced about some of those, you know, for example, the U.S. Open. Yeah, no, so we go, we make it a point, myself, Casey Herbis, uh, Chief Marketing Officer for Rocket Mortgage to Bill Emerson, we make it a point to go out and visit other events. We're not only recruiting players, we're also looking for best practices. Uh, you know, we've got an internal mantra here, first, best only. We want to be the first to do something. We want to be the best at what we do. We're going to be the only ones to do it. And we've kind of established a reputation for ourselves here for that. And so we've been able to go to other events and see some of the amazing things that they're doing from a fan experience uh, standpoint. So we've applied that. Fans love um, great experiences, intimate experiences. So, you know, Area 313 is a good example. As we went to other great events, we've noticed they have a signature area, an area where people are kind of gravitate towards where there's an elevated fan experience, a lot of excitement. And so in the spirit of Detroit and uh, our 313 area code, we created Area 313, which we aim this year to make the most charitable three holes in all of golf. Lots of fun, lots of giving opportunities, and a chance for fans to have a great experience um, and watch the best players play up close. And so... It's really going out and finding those best practices at other events and bringing them here. And we've been able to do that, you know, um, and just, well, one real uh, run in 2019 with fans. And we're excited to do that um, and add to that this year in uh, 2021. You you said something there that was really interesting to me. You, You talked about the recruitment of players. Because of the success of the Rocket Mortgage Classic over the last couple of years, I got to imagine within the players' circles, they talk about DGC. They talk about the job that you and the team do. They talk about how it's a real... I mean, this is a, a, a tournament that players want to play in. And if you just look at the field, you see it. You, you got guys like Phil and Harold and and Bubba and, I mean, uh, uh, Hideki. All these guys are coming. And I'm, I know I'm, I'm leaving a bunch of really good players mm-hmm. out, but I don't have the time to go through them all. You got a lot of really good players coming out. So I imagine within the players' circles, it's very highly highly the thought of and talked about but you talked about recruitment what what is the recruitment process that you and the team go through yeah no i mentioned i'm at casey herbis bill emerson myself uh spend time going out visiting other events and players have uh, a choice to make they have 
20 to 25 places that they call home on the PGA Tour each year out of the 45 or 50 stops they can call home. And so we spend time going out and telling them um, what it's like to come to Detroit, the kind of golf course we have, the kind of experience we're going to have in the city, amazing things that Dan Gilbert's done downtown. We spend time talking about that, and they're truly energized and motivated by it. Um, got a great golf course here that they love. Players do not have an opportunity to play a classic Donald Ross golf course week in and week out. There's mm-hmm. only one other Donald Ross golf course that is available to them on the PGA Tour schedule, and many of them grew up playing it. So that's the differentiation point if you're making a decision on where you're going to call home on the PGA Tour. We have many players that talk about and have gotten to know the great experience in downtown Detroit, staying at Shinola Hotel and the other amazing restaurants that we have downtown and just they, they love that. This is the only event really that takes place in the in the downtown core um, on the PGA Tour. And so players, and that's what I think when you see the field like it is this year, after just one real year with fans and our third year as an event, we're starting to get players that are now adding this to their schedule and making a choice to call Detroit their home that one week a year because of the experience that we've been able to do and really because of the community that's rallied mm-hmm. behind this and made it such a great event for everyone. Yeah, and you and you guys have uh, quite frankly mastered the art of of charitable causes and things that you're giving of your time and of money and your focus too. And I I know that a lot of players are, are gravitated towards that as well. It's very interesting stuff. One other thing that I want to try to I want to try to pull out of here a little bit. I talked about some of the players that are in the field. Um, I'm wondering if there's maybe a couple more out there that we haven't quite heard about yet, and and that are uh, maybe going to be playing old DGC. Yeah, no, we'll we'll be recruiting right up until the very end players, you know, this weekend or as they come out of the U.S. Open. We have, we have many players that have already made up their minds and be coming. There are a few yet that are waiting to see how they fare in the U.S. Open to kind of put together that last run to the FedEx Cup. And we are in conversations with a few players about coming out of the U.S. Open, you know, what do they do with their schedule? And so I'm going to keep you waiting, but I'm – we're hopeful and optimistic to be able to make some other announcements about some new players that'll be coming into our field. But, you know, we love the field that we have right now. I'll be honest with you. We take the field that we have. It'll be the best field that we've had by far in, uh, in just the last two years coming into our third. And, um, but, uh, we'll, we'll see if we can improve upon that as we had, uh, you know, through father's day here and, uh, and ultimately crown a champion out there. We got a number of the players. I mean, there's, you know, DeChambeau, Woodland, Glover, Simpson had won the U.S. Open before. Jason Day's played well out there. All of them are coming here, and and who knows? Maybe there'll be a new champion uh, that uh, hasn't been here before that decides to come, much like Gary did a few years ago. Well, I'll give you a couple names here in the top ten, and, and you can give me the yay or nay or not anything. But I'll just I'll read them out here. Jordan Spieth sitting at number three on the FedEx Cup. Justin Thomas sitting at number four. Victor Hovland. At number five, Xander Shoffley at seven, Morikawa at eight. I mean, those are some big-time names there that we'll just keep an eye out for. You, we don't even need to say anything. We'll just keep an eye out for it. Uh, always great talking with you. Uh, I cannot wait for this. RocketMortgageClassic.com. That's where they can go. Jason Langwell, always appreciate the time. Thank you, sir. Great to be with you. Thanks. There he is, Jason Langwell, Executive Director of the Rocket Mortgage Classic. More to come here on Sports Rep next. Now back to more Sports Wrap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, welcome back. Look, last weekend I told you 
how excited I was that there has been some movement in college football about potentially expanding the playoff from four to 12 teams. And look, again, college football expansion in this way, when you're when you're talking about expanding the play, it just moves so slow. It's, all right, let's take 10 years and work with this format. In the next 10 years, we'll expand it to eight. Next 10 years, uh, but if you're a huge college football fan like I am, like Nick is, uh, that that the the expansion from four to twelve is oh boy, it's exciting. So with that, we had talked about is Notre Dame going to be impacted negatively by this? And if you're a if you're a Fighting Irish fan. I had kind of told you last week that it seemed to me that this hurts the Golden Domers. Well, maybe not, though. Maybe not. And look, Nick pointed out, too, Jack Swarbrick, who is the AD at Notre Dame, was a part of this uh, inside committee over at the college football playoff to propose this. And Nick was right by saying, why would Jack go out there and and sabotage his own school? It's a good point, Nick. Uh, But he was a part of this group of, what was it, four or five guys that were proposed, that that brought this proposal to the table. Um, But there's some interesting, when you talk about the formatting, when you talk about, uh, because basically, look, because Notre Dame doesn't belong to to a, conference they don't have the ability to play in a conference championship game so if at the end of the regular season Notre Dame finished number one they were undefeated they had the best strength of schedule and they were the number one team in the country based on this format Notre Dame could finish no higher than fifth based on the the amount of uh winners of your conference, the top six, basically, and then the top four would receive buys. So because of that, Notre Dame would never be able to participate in that top where they'd never get a buy. But but some interesting information brought to the table by our friend Danny Cannell, who was on the Ryan Rosillo podcast and had this to say. So I, I had a definitely a shift in opinion in like the span of 48 hours, because when this model first came out, my initial reaction was, Ooh, four buys have to be conference champion. Doesn't have to be power five, but conference champion, Notre Dame going to join the ACC. Like, boom, that's going to happen. They have to, they won't kowtow to the pressure. But then I completely flipped that because I saw some very bright people in college football saying, why Notre Dame has the best scenario possibility of anybody because they don't have to play in a conference champion game. They can get a first. So they don't care about the first. Yeah, they could take a bye, but they essentially get one by not playing in the conference champion game. Then they, instead of getting a bye, they get a home playoff game, which is a massive advantage and a potential huge windfall, financial windfall from being able to have all their fans there. So that was one like switch that I had. I'm like, Oh, I thought Notre Dame was going to be a loser kind of, and they'd have to join the ACC where now they look like one of the biggest winners along with the group of five. Nick. 
Chris. W- w- would you like to get your uh, I told you so in here? I mean, look, that that's a great take by Danny Cannell, who, who is one of the brightest uh, minds, uh, at least from a journalism perspective in college football. Uh, smart guy, knows what he's talking about. That's genius. And and it, it I got to be honest, it completely escaped me because when I look at this, I thought the exact same thing he did at first. Boy, this looked really bad for Notre Dame. And then you told me, look, Jack was on the committee that that did that brought this forward. And I said, ah, shut up, Nick. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> got to hate on Notre Dame uh, any t- anytime you can. Yeah, but boy, I think that's genius. And I think I think what Danny said there is exactly right. I think when you talk about now the odds, now where Notre Dame sits, not only would they not have to play in a conference championship game, so they get to continue to 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 stash that pot of gold, but then they'll get the bye while everybody else is playing in their conference championship games. And then if they are the five seed, they'll host a home playoff game. It's genius. It's yeah, genius. I'm, and and I got to give you a lot of credit. You were on to this. Nice thank you. Job. I mean, how many teams are going to be 9-3 and three in their conference championship game? And then, of course, if they win, they're in. They lose, they're out. Notre Dame doesn't have that scenario. There's no, right. okay, well, if we win, we're in, we lose, we're out. If they're good enough to be in, they just skip that conference championship week and they're in. Yeah. No, it's 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 I got to be honest, it's genius. And it makes me hate this format a little less or a little more. Uh because boy, I you know, if anything that benefits Notre Dame just feels awful to me. Uh but my goodness, it, that it, this would certainly be a windfall for Notre Dame if that's the case. Now, you start and and, and you could say, look, later on down the tournament if this thing pans out the way it does and again, we're not this isn't going to be in effect this year or, or next year. You're, you're a few years down the road from this, even if it's confirmed. But with all that being said, it would still be a challenge for Notre Dame to get to that point to a national championship game. I mean, it just it just would be based on seeding. So while I don't think that, that this is as, um, as egregious towards Notre Dame as I had hoped it would be, or I thought it would be, um, this is this this doesn't seem like a bad deal for Notre Dame. And no. conversely, how does this then play out for the rest of like because Notre Dame? I, I, it's not that Notre Dame is always going to be in it. Yeah, but at I least mean, they're going like, to have a pretty good shot. Yeah, they're not always so going to host from this. They're not always going to host a game. I mean, if they're no. they're the 12th seed, they're not going to host a game. Obviously, so correct. This is not an, an every year scenario. If Notre Dame's a uh, Ten and one, they're gonna host a game. Uh, I mean, they've got to be good enough, obviously, to still get there. Sure. Well, I mean, it gives them a li- little bit of a cushion, at least, though. I mean, in terms of where they would be at the end of the year, dropping down to five because they couldn't finish in the top four. I mean, it would it does give them a bit of a cushion. So I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, you got to be pretty you got to be pretty excited about this. So uh, that we wanted to, I needed to correct. I needed to. We needed to fix that. We needed to issue a public correction to that because I think Danny Cannell hit it on the head. I was bad-mouthing Nick Roddy, and he told me he, 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 he was wise on it too. So I'm the dummy. So there you go. And that's not the first time. Won't be the last. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for us today. We'll see you tomorrow here on WJR. Chris Renwick, Nick Roddy, Sports Wrap 6-7. to 7. Don't miss it.